Okay, so the first question is from Mahendra Prabhu from uh, from Mayapur. Uh, let's see here. He's asking, Dhanavat Pranam's Guru Maharaj, in a class you gave in 2018 in North Carolina, you commented that in the Madhva Sampradaya and in the Vallabha Sampradaya, they say that the jivas are of three types, sattvikas, rajasikas, and tamasikas, and that only the jivas of the sattvic type can attain liberation from the material world. My question is, what kind of arguments do they have for reaching this conclusion? Since, uh, excuse me, Sampradaya, uh, since if that were, were the case, Krishna would be a partial God by creating jivas with full capacity to reach their maximum potential and others with a kind of predefined limitation. And the Vedic scriptures do not support the idea of a partial God. Was the conclusion of these two sampradayas somehow influenced by the caste system, suggesting that only Brahmins could reach the ultimate goal? And another question that arose by extension of this one is, what does it mean to say that we are members of the Brahma Madhva Gaudiya Sampradaya, since we have such different philosophical conclusions? Well, um... Oh, sorry, Guru Maharaj, before you start, uh, I would like to remind you about going slower again because of the interpretation. I might have to remind me about points raised in the question because it was rather long. Um, I would say, first of all, that um, what was the last part he asked? Oh, oh yeah, I got, got the last part. I may miss the one in between. But uh, to begin, um, the... They're a little different, the Madhva Sampradaya and the um, Balabha Sampradaya in, in their <clears throat> classification of jivas, but there is a similarity in them that we don't entirely share, which is a gradation of jivas that includes um, certain jivas that are not eligible for liberation. Um, by contrast, it appears that in Gaudiya Vaishnavism, all uh, jivas are have the, have the um, uh, potential uh, to be uh, to be to be liberated. Uh, but it would be um, inaccurate at the same time to say that there is not a gradation of jivas within uh, Gaudiya Vaishnavism. Indeed, in the very basic sense, there is a gradation in that there are some jivas who are eternally liberated and some that are not. Hmm? So that's a gradation. And um, there's also a gradation of jivas um, by looking at it from the perspective of karma. Some have worse karma, some have better karma. And karma has no beginning, it's an adi. So, um, and while the karmic uh, differences or the gradation is external, right? Because karma is external, it is nonetheless a result of some internal volition on the part of the jiva. Hmm? So, uh, you can make a case superficially, I think, that, well, Gaudiya Vaishnava says all jivas are equal, and there's some truth to that, but if we look more closely, it's not as black and white as it might seem. Um, 
And with regard to the spiritual world, if there are differences by karma, which are external, but nonetheless are a result of internal, as I say, volition, there's no meaning to karma if there's no choice on the part of the jiva. Sometimes people say, well, there's no free will because you're just under the influence of karma. But the whole idea of karma is that the jivas are making choices and therefore they're getting reactions, right? Now they may, their reactions may tend their choices may tend to be informed by the samskaras that they have developed, and so they keep making the same sort of choices or similar choices. That's true. So that therefore, if we look at it like that, which we should, the more conditioned, if you will, a jiva is, the less its will is operative and functioning. So, for example, we say that in human life. It's, is the Jiva's position is distinguished from the less complex forms of life, latter being largely a result of the abuse of the human form of life and the will that um, has greater uh, capacity to be operative and manifest and the, um, given the human vehicle, if you will. Um, uh, so, but, but, but the choice is there. It's internal, um, and it speaks. It speaks to the idea further that, well, each jiva is an individual. They're all the same. They're all equal. But we could. But I think that the way in which that statement um, in Gaudiya Vaishnavism is, is to be taken is that they're all equal, like all snowflakes are equal. They're all wet. They're all cold. They all dissolve in, in heat. They all have fascinating patterns and so on and so forth. But no two snowflakes are the same. And if they were the same or equal in all respects, then there wouldn't be two. No two things can be entirely the same and still be different. They would be one thing if they were entirely the same. So we have to look at these uh, distinction. First of all, this often made in this regard between the Gaudiya position on the Jiva and that of Madhva and Balava, for example, with regard to different gradations of Jivas, different types of Jivas, and the Gaudiya parent with a broad brush perspective, they're all the same, they're all equal. Actually, all individual, in that sense, they're all different, right? And therefore, they make different choices. Well, they're equally all the same. They'd all make the same choices. This is, and this is a strong argument from Mudva's line. If the Jeevas were all the same, they'd all make the same choices. So they must be different. He wants to take it, take it a, a step further. Now he gives his support from that for Swarupa Ved, hmm? um, difference uh, in nature uh, between jivas. And I'm not a student of Madhva's uh, uh, doctrine in any comprehensive sense, so I've never bothered to look up what scripture he gives to support his position, but but one of the strong things in Madhva's line in this regard is the application of logic with regard to scriptural statements. So however much it may not be blatantly mentioned somewhere, 
that there are different types of jivas and there are some are rel- capable for suitable or qualified for attaining liberation, some are not. Um, there is a strong logic to it. Um, and, and part of that um, is, well, uh, you can your own experience of meeting some, well, everybody has experience either directly or hearing about it, real people in the world in human dress that are uh, quite uh, demonic. Hmm? So it's not a question that God created some are demonic and some are not. God didn't create anything in one sense. The jivas are all uh, eternal. Hmm? Um, it's complicated. <laughs> At the same time, well, they are the will of Bhagavan. His will is variegated. Um, and so Madhva would say, um, and um, Balava would say, the Jeeva's position is all the will of Bhagavan. There's no fault on his part. He, he, only he exists. He does what he does. Mm-hmm. And he's in control of everything. Who can argue with that? Uh, Ishvar, Paramakrishna, Sarva Karna Karna. Then a blade of grass moves without the will of God. Hmm? So God's in control of everything. What's the problem? Hmm? And it's all God. So our vantage point of looking at it only allows us to feel it's it's not just or it's not proper or something like that. They would argue along those lines and say, we have experience that there are people like this. Hmm? And um, and then I believe, for example, Madhva might cite the Bhagavad Gita. In the Bhagavad Gita, there's a chapter, um, what is it, 17th chapter maybe, the Divine and Demonic, or is it the 16th chapter? One of the later chapters, Divine and the Demonic. And there, one, in one of the verses, he says, uh, Krishna says that he places those demonic souls in wombs, life after life. Hmm. Um, so there, there, there's a, there, there's a, there could be, that could be seen as a reference, could be interpreted that way. It's Krishna saying, he puts jivas in demonic bodies, life after life. Hmm. We'd say until they get so bad that they appear in the Prakat Lila like a Kamsa and then he liberates them. Mm-hmm. You know, that's kind of a way we might, might, might think about it, but that's a, that's, that's a, uh, you know, interpretation right uh, on our part um if you will so there is a verse in the bhagavad gita life after life i put them in demonic wounds so he's got support right there are samsara and jivas they're just they're here for the for, for the samsara the, you know the broader picture is that the material existence is also a leela it's the shristi leela the leela of creation, if you will, even though nothing's created, it's just like manifest and, be, and unmanifest with no beginning. So um, in order for it to go on, well, part of it, some jivas are there to be liberated and some are there to carry it on, you know, uh, so to speak. So again, I don't know all the references from Madhva or the Balabha Sampradaya to support the position, but I, I'll say this as well. Um, both of these sampradayas, Madhva Sampradaya and the Balava Sampradaya, hmm, which is really an extension of the Vishnu Swami <coughs> Sampradaya, 
and the Shuddhadvaita doctrine. It's a pure Vaishnav school. Uh, but Madhva, Balabha was prominent during the time of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So some people refer to it as the Balabha Sampradaya. Um, not without acknowledging its, its earlier uh, origin. From that Sampradaya, hmm, the famous commentator on the Bhagavatam, Sridhar Swami comes, hmm, whom Mahaprabhu so much appreciated. And the Goswamis, Rupa Sanatan, well, not Rupa, but he didn't write a commentary on Bhagavatam, but Jiva Goswami, Sanatan Goswami, they always, they, they were repeatedly will cite, and, 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 and the commentator said, you know, Sridhar Swami said this, and Sridhar Swami said that. And then they go on and give their own commentaries, add on something nuanced, but they defer to him because Mahaprabhu deferred to him. Now, he was a, previously a member of the Advaita Sampradaya and even a, a founding or a, the leading monk in the Govardhan Math at Jagannath Puri, which is one of Shankaracharya's four mosques or monasteries, it would seem that later he, that's, that school is the one school of the Shankar Sampradaya of the four moths that um, has a heavy influence of bhakti in their school, bhakti as a means to merging into Brahman. Um, so there's a number of persons who came out of that school who eventually um, um, embraced a bhakti schools entirely or sampradayas like Chaitanya Mahaprabhu sampradaya. Chaitanya Swami would say, would look at it as, as, as one of them. He was a devotee of Narasimhadeva. So we take it from Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and Jiva Goswami who draws upon him as well as Madhva and Ramanuja in his Sandarbhas but about Shiva, about Jiva, about, excuse me, about Sridhar Swami, he said, oh, he, like, he had a, um, um, a bait. He gave a bait uh, to the Shankar Sampradaya, something like that. He would say some things to bring them in. And then inside of his commentary, there would be uh, these, uh, uh, Bhakti ideas, so kind of like you talk to them a certain way to to tell them something different, to convert them, something like that. Mm-hmm. Forget the analogy, something like you know, like tricking tricking them, you know, to come in. So so anyway, so 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 the Balava Sampradaya mm-hmm. was very close with the Gaudiya Sampradaya. Mm-hmm. Balaba personally was a contemporary of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu himself. It's said in Bhakti Ratnakar, I believe that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu blessed him to have his own school separate from his. Um, and, um, and there is, uh, um, eventually the Balaba Sambhara took over the worship of <clears throat> Madhavendra Puri's deity, the Gopal deity, who was, who was called, uh, uh, what's he called? Nafji from the, from the Bengalis who originally appointed, uh, there's a history to that, that there are different, well, different histories to that, how that came about, but, um, but, um, further at the end of his section on sadhana bhakti and the end of his section on Ravadi bhakti sadhana and rag bhakti sadhana, these two sections in bhakti rasamita sindhu rupa goswami says, and there is another sect that refers to Vaidhi Bhakti, my term, 
Rupa Goswami's term, and they call it Mariada. And at the end of his Raghunuga Bhakti Sadhana section, he says, and there's another group, and they call it Pushti. And in both these cases, they're more or less the same. So you have to consider that Balava doctrine, with all of its differences from ours, that, whoa, it seems so different, it's very solidly a Vaishnava Sampradaya. It's very much refuting the Advaita perspective as all of Vaishnava Sampradayas do. It's a Ragmarg Sampradaya, like ours also. Um, it has Gopi Bhav in it, a certain kind of Gopi Bhav, different than ours, but uh, also in, in, in Vatsalya Bhav. Hmm? Um, they are devotees of Krishna hmm? in Braj. Um, and um, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu uh, respected them, Rupa Goswami respected. And they have differences in language that's used. This is language that's used, philosophical language, to try to explain something, right, that's beyond beyond word, beyond thought. So different persons set about it in, in, in different ways. And we like the way Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's uh, uh, sect has, has spoken about it. We can argue objectively for it being a better explanation and so on and so forth. But I don't think we should do that to the point of then criticizing um not that you're doing that on your, in your question, but criticizing Balaba or um, Madhva. Go back to Balaba for a minute. Another thought comes to my mind that, well, in one sense, we're all here today because of the Balaba Sampradaya. What do I mean? Anybody know? Huh? No, he was from the Madhvasam production. We were all here today because somebody named Sumati Murarji, who was a disciple of the Balabasam Pradaya, gave Prabhupada passage on the Jala Dutta to come to America. <laughs> Balabasam Kijai. So these Sampradayas have been working to a large extent, hand in hand, there are some differences, uh, sectarian differences that come up, mostly in the minds of, uh, and, and, and loom large, mostly in the minds of Kanishtas, neophyte devotees, um, who tend to like want to draw these uh, strict uh, 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 boundaries. It's good to have boundaries. Sectarianism has a positive connotation also. It's important to know what your sect says. And, but it's also important to know that other sects stay different and, and we differ from them, but they don't have to necessarily be, be wrong, but, but, but we have our own way of thinking about it and so forth. Um, so, um, um, yes, there is a Sansaran Jiva among other types of Jivas in, in the, uh, Bala Sampradaya. In the Bala Sampradaya, there's also Pustimarg Jivas and Ragmarg Jivas. And it's thought there that these, 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 these jivas are, um, uh, they exist for the very purpose of being Maryada bhaktas or Ragmar bhaktas. It's inherent in them. That's what they're for. That, that's what they're all about. Hmm? Um, and then there are the sansara and jivas and there are different types of those also. I've never gone into it in, in any detail. Now I have never <coughs> heard anywhere that that 
that, that, it's, that, that it's emphatically stated or explicitly stated by Balaba or his followers, whose, I say, literary contribution is, 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 is um, not that um, comprehensive compared to some of the other Sampradayas. Balaba uh, has written a commentary on Vedanta Sutra, but it's very, very brief. But I've never seen anywhere in their writings, and of course, I'm not a great student of the Balaba Sampradaya either, but anywhere I've never seen it said or emphasized that, that, that it's necessarily that samsara and jiva has no prospect for liberation. He may, he may not. I kind of think he doesn't. Hmm? And um, to your point, so you're asking about that. Um, now, Madhva Sampradaya, um, similar idea, right? Uh, different types of jivas. Um, um, Rajasic jivas, uh, he has tamasic jivas, he has sattvic jivas, the sattvic jivas are capable of attaining liberation, the other two are not, again, he'll cite the verse I cited from the, whatever it was, 17th chapter of Bhagavad Gita or 16th, I forget, um, and, uh, and he has other supports for it, and he uses his logic that there, there are different types of jivas, look and see, and why are they choosing differently? Why Why would they be different? Must be Bhagavan wants different types. I mean, they're all him. You know, he didn't create them, but still they exist for his different purposes. Hmm? Why does anything that you as a person exist? Well, I have a hand for this. I have an ear for that. I have a nose for that and a tongue for that. And he has jivas for this and jivas for that. And that's who he is. The composite is God. Hmm? Right? Um, his whole emphasis for that matter, is Dweta, Dweta Bad. So you have Adweta and Dweta, you know, the, the opposite. Adweta means non-different. There's only one, one, there's nothing else. And Dweta says there's, all, there's, there, there's only one, but there are a lot of differences within the one, something like that. So he has, I think, five types of differences. Five. I mean, he might have the difference between Jiva and Bhagawan, difference between this and that world and Bhagawan and I don't remember all of them. Again, I'm not a student of Madhva's uh, doctrine entirely, but we do um, um, appreciate Madhva's doctrine and see him as a stalwart, great Mahajan, great, uh, great, great uh, Vaishnava, and the first to, amongst the Vaishnavas and Brahmas, to come out directly, uh, strongly against the Advaitin perspective. First, no, I guess. Maybe Ramanujava was first. No, I can't remember now. Was Madhva first? I think Madhva was first, then Ramanuja came. No, Ramanuja was first. Yeah, because Madhva also critiques the, the Ramanuja perspective and emphasizes difference, right? Um, now, uh, we have great respect for the Madhva Sampradaya, um, for his, for, for his challenge against the Dvaita, which was considerable. And, and also for his emphasis on deity worship. Hmm? And his worshipful deity in Udupi is Krishna, who was the, previously the deity of Rukmini, hmm? that he, uh, that he found in a large chunk of tilak, hmm? aboard a boat was bringing it with something else that had got lost at sea. And he went on the beach and like held some flags and Mystically brought the, the, the boat to the shore miraculously in some way. And then they 
they gave him a gift of the tilak, I guess. I don't know, it sounds <laughs> odd, a gift, but anyway, inside it, as it turned out, it broke open and there was a deity, thought to be the deity of Rukmini. That deity is worshipped from early in the morning till noon every day, is the Abhishek, and there are nine or eight, I think there's one, not one temple, and eight temples around it, with eight acharyas, and every eight years, one acharya gets to do the worship. And for eight years, they, they collect, raise money to spend on the deity. That's how they do it. Mm-hmm. So it's a very nice uh, uh, sampradaya. And um, from that sampradaya, as Brad Sundari has reminded us, all of us, uh, Baladi Bidibushan came to the Gaudiya sampradaya. He was originally a member of the Balaba sampradaya. Baladi Bidibushan is was like a new like a new Jiva Goswami. He was so prolific in the time that he wrote and he wrote uh Vedanta also. I don't think we can distinguish uh Jiva Goswami from Baladev by way of saying Jiva Goswami was not a Vedantan but Baladev was just because Jiva Goswami didn't write a commentary on Vedanta Sutra. He wrote a commentary on the Bhagavatam, and he wrote his Satsang Darbas, which is, a, which is sixfold treatise on the Bhagavatam, which is the natural commentary on Vedanta. So uh, it's pretty terse, the Sandarbhas, like a commentary on, on the sutras would be, and so on and so forth. And and uh, for that reason, we consider Jiva Goswami like the Tattvacharya, you know, uh, rather than the Rasacharya, like Rupa Goswami, for example. Of, uh, of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. So in a similar way, the writings of Baladev, given, given that he wrote the Govinda Bhasha commentary on Vedanta Sutra, very philosophical, that's what I, I want to say. Deepa Goswami, more theological, writing about Krishna. Not that the philosophy is not about Krishna, but there's a subtle difference between philosophy and theology, right? So Baladev Bhidibhushan, huge, I mean, that's not the only thing he wrote. Many, many things he wrote. He wrote commentaries also on, on Rupa Goswami's work, uh, Stavamala, um, and, uh, on his work, Lagu Bhagavatamrita, um, and, and many others. He was very prolific, Baladev Bidibhushan. And he brought with him, or he, in his, in his, um, Pramaya Ratnavali, he outlines, I believe it's nine tenets, of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. The Jiva's eternal servant of Bhagavan. The gradation of Jivas. Like I was saying earlier. And by karma and by, by worship. How they worship. This is a different, so I don't know if I get into that, but there, there's a gradation of Jivas, obviously, in, in the spiritual world. Right? Some are in Vaikuntha, some are in Sakirasa, some are in Durasa, some are in Shantarasa. It's just like there's a gradation here. Um, so, um, uh, of course, there is no gradation there in that everybody feels theirs is the best. And it is for them. So, no problem, right? Um, uh, but, um, but anyway, gradation of jivas, um, and others, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or he's the supreme personality of God, whatever. So he outlines them at the beginning and he goes through them. And at the end, Baladev cites those nine things again. And the verse, but the verse, but he said the verse that he cites there actually in the second case 
was written by one of the great uh, Madhva, um, great Acharyas in the Madhva line, his own verse. And he says, these tenets are the same as I've written at the beginning. These tenets from the Madhva Sampradaya are the same as ours. Hmm? So there's a certain sameness. We say, oh, I've heard the Madhva says this, Madhva says that. He's completely different philosophy than our. Well, it's not entirely different. Hmm? There's nine very central points from that Valdeh Bhushan has singled out and said, you know, these are Gaudiya tenets. So there's the philosophical connection. You may look and see that some people may say there's a superficial, uh, perhaps uh, formal um, uh, connection because maybe like somebody like, let's say, Madhavendra Puri, someone could argue and some have that he must have been a member of the Shankar Sampradaya because Puri is one of the 10 sannyas names that were given by Shankar and Ramanuja doesn't give that sannyas name and Madhva doesn't. So there it is. So um, whatever, that's not a very comprehensive argument, but he could have been Previously, like many of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's, a good number of the sannyasis, they were initiated, like Mahaprabhu himself, in the sannyas, in the sannyas from the Shankar lineage. Of course, Mahaprabhu converted Keshava Bharati first by whispering the mantra in his ear, saying, is this the mantra you're going to give, him, give me? And gave him a bite, which gave a Vaishnava interpretation of it from his heart. Um, but... Paramananda Puri, Ishwar Puri, uh, 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 Brahmananda Bharati, and so forth. I mean, it's, it's good reason to believe that they took initiation from Sanyas, from the Shankar Sampradaya. But, you know, these lines were not, the sectarian lines were not drawn as, as firmly um, at the time as they are maybe now. And these were Sanyasis, so they had, you know, they were a little deeper they were mystics, not religious people, you know, but only identified with the externals and therefore emphasized the differences. Um, and so they, like Sridhar Swami, as I'm saying, there's the likelihood that some of them were initiated in the Sampar, in the, in, in, in the Sanyas and the Shankar Sampradaya in Puri, where Bhakti is an emphasis. And then the Bhakti got the better part of them and they, they came and joined, um, um, in substance, say, uh, you know, Sampradaya. So, um, so someone will say, someone could say, Madhavendra Puri was, a, was originally, uh, initiated into the sannyas and the Shankar Sampradaya. And then through the influence of other Vaishnavas, he came to the Vaishnav conception. And, and there's a formal connection with Mad, or, or, or he came to the Madhva Sampradaya, let's say, coming from the Shankar sannyas and from the Madhva Sampradaya. So there's a formal connection with Madhva, but there's no substantial philosophical connection. So that argument is, is made, and I think that it's one that um, Mahendra is, is, is raising. But as I'm pointing out, look at Pramaya Ratnavali of Vallabhidibhusha, and there's a substantial philosophical um, um, connection, an agreement, the philosophical points between Madhva and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's Sampradaya. And, um, you know, among the points, what does he say? He says, um, and Mukti is the, uh, the, Mukti is 
the jiva's experience of its own ananda. Hmm? And the means is ananya bhakti. There's your inherent and inherent and bestowed <laughs> at the same time. And so, uh, just as a highlight a point, they're amongst the, the nine, two of them. Um, so, um, um, that said, okay, yeah, I mean, we have some differences from the, from the, uh, the, the Balabha Sampradaya, we have some differences from the Madhva Sampradaya, you're highlighting one nature of the, you know, these different kinds of jivas, but it's not as black and white as it, as it might seem. Um, and, and furthermore, um, we say, as I mentioned already, that there, that the Vaikuntha is variegated, transcendence is variegated. So there are, they are in a very broad and basic sense, our own Sampradaya says, well, there's Brahman, there's Paramatma, there's Bhagavan. These are not just different names for the absolute. They actually speak about different um, features or aspects of the absolute that can be realized hmm, by different methods. Hmm? And so even within the method of Bhakti, by which we realize Bhagavan, well, there are different types of uh, different forms of the Lord, right? There's Vaikuntha, there's Goloka, there's Ayodhya, and within Goloka, there's Dwarka, Matura, and within Raj, there's different Rasas, and so on and so forth. So it's a variegated experience, and as such, we would see, we have no reason to think, and it would be offensive to think, that um, that Madhva was something wrong with him, hmm? that he was contaminated, or no, his Sampradaya, has its bhaktas and vaikuntha and, he, and he's there. So does Ramanuja. <coughs> they may differ here, but there they don't. The differences there don't, 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 in attainment don't matter. So, um, they are, uh, and, and for, for reasons, uh, like these that I'm citing, Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasadakur was, um, was, um, um, Inspired in his main moth there in Mayapur, where you are, uh, Chaitanya moth to, uh, establish deities of the, of, of Madhva, Ramanuja, Nimbarka, and Vishnu Swami. So all those deities are there. Hmm? Bhakti, and of course, Bhakti Vinod Thakur was very, very insistent that to, to, that the Gaudiya should, the Gaudiya should be understood as the Brahma Madhva Gaudiya Sampradaya, hmm? that uh, has it has a connection with with uh, with with with, with Madhva and Brahma. Now, one of the things that some Madhvas may say, "Who are these Gaudiyas? What do they think? They've got a connection with us." And so, of course, we have the we have the mantra, the mantra that was given to Brahma. That's the Gopal mantra. Hmm? That's our mantra. It's not the mantra they given by the. But they don't have an initiation other than sannyas. I don't, I don't believe. So it's, there are differences and so forth. But, um, but we should look at it in, 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 in a, in a, in a generous way. I'm certainly not criticize, and I'm not saying you're doing that, but not criticize Balaba or, or, uh, Madhva. 
and uh, they have support for their their perspectives and ways of talking about the different jivas and so forth and um and you know we we don't differ that that much as i'm saying if you really look um uh closely um so now we we said something you know what was madva and Ramanuja influenced by the caste system to therefore to say there are different kinds of jivas because there are different types of persons and different statuses within karma. I think we've addressed that to some extent, but were they influenced by the caste system? Well, let us say that, the, that they were part of the Varnashram society that was thriving and was the entire social system that was ordained by Krishna. Um, and we, we, we would assume that it hadn't uh, become what Bhakti Thakur called an Asura Varnashram society, which, which in his estimation was a way of characterizing a Varnashram society that insisted that birth alone determined one's status within the social system and without recognizing the fact that aside from birth in a particular family, someone may have characteristics, qualities, and so forth that that, that uh, differentiate him or her from other members of the family, the parents, and uh, and in substance, identify him with another caste, right? And this is a statement in the Bhagavatam, seventh canon of the Bhagavatam, where Varnashram is explained um, there, this, this, this point is, is, is obviously made. Um, and arguably in the Gita also, Guna Karma So there it said the division is made, uh, between by Guna and Karma. Now there's different ways to interpret that, but we interpret Karma to be act, act the activities that he does rather than the Karma by which he's born entirely. And of course his quality is Guna. So, um, and and you know our interpretation obviously is 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 um, addresses the the practical experience. Um, he would not allow allow Prahlad to go in a temple when Shringadev put him on his lap, <clears throat> although he was you know he's in the sura by birth. Hmm? You might, you might invoke the wrath of Bhagavan Mishrina for, for that type of uh, analysis. Um, and so that he thought that to be demonic, if you will, Asura Varnashram, his Daiba Varnashram. In one sense, was really only the real Varnashram system. Now that's, you know, hardly in place anymore, but at the time of Ramanuja, Madhva, um, Balava, that, there was no other social system. There was no democracy or anything else, you know, to, to consider. Um, there were invaders, I suppose. I, I don't remember the entire history of India. It's had a history of invasions and so forth. But um, what the British weren't, you know, weren't there. <laughs> so, um, and um, so, yeah, they're uh, they're uh, they're not. I wouldn't say that that, that their determination. This is your question of their characterization or description of different types of jivas is um, 
is a is a negative influence of the caste system. No. And um, the last part of your question, if I remember correctly, was you know something like what connection do we have with Mephisto and Pagod? Because we have so much philosophical differences. I've already addressed that. You have somebody you should read the Premeya Ratnavali and see the nine tenets that we agree with with Madhva. And also in, uh, in, in Tatvas and Darva, Jiva Goswami, as they says, he's also going to draw on Ramanuja, as he said, he was going to draw on Sridhar Swami, and he's also going to draw on Madhva, hmm, to make his point. Not that we agree with everything they say, we're a different Sampradaya, but we're, we're different, but we're all Vaishnavas. We all have so much that we agree with. Some people say that Mahaprabhu took, 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 took two tenets from each of the four Sampradayas. From Madhva Sampradaya, he took argument against Advaita and deity worship. And from Ramanuja Sampradaya, he took maybe Sharanagati and Vaishnava Seva. I forget. I forget all four of them. You know, all eight of them. And so you have two in one Sampradaya, two in another, two in another. You have all eight in Gaudi Sampradaya. Uh, once I mentioned this to Dr. Kapoor, Adi Keshavadas, disciple of Bhaktisthan, he said, no, no, no. He said, Mahaprabhu has all eight, and each one took two from Mahaprabhu. <laughs> I like that. So I hope I remembered and addressed all of the points that you raised in your question. And you're not, um, being in India, probably not on right now to comment further, but if you are, any one else does, let's hear that. Any other questions along those lines before we go forward? Rather long answer, but rather long question. Mm-hmm. No. Dernishton, then next question. Okay, so the next question is from Chaitan Acharan from Chile. And he wrote it in Spanish, so I'm going to let Madame Mohan interpret it first, and then I'll, he can uh, uh, translate it to you in English. Oh, forgive me for forgetting to talk more slowly. Yes? Yeah, Gurmash, you can hear him, right? See. Si. Can you say it? Can you say your question in Spanish, por favor? Hablo en español, por favor. Sí, por favor. What is it? There are spiritual and material endeavors. Very much. I translated in Google Translate. I think what Chaitanya Charan is confused about it is that Vishwanath says that also we should give up as devotees some spiritual endeavors such as studying the scriptures. And he's like, how is that? Why would you give up studying the scriptures? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, um, uh, Rupa Goswami has taught us in Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu that one should, as one of the Regarding the angas of bhakti, this is kind of a negative, but he says therein that, uh, um, one should not read too many books. 
Um, so uh, the idea is to be one-minded, focused, so on and so forth. Try to understand the ideal, the goal, and there's plenty to do just being focused there. Um, this um, is what Rupa Goswami is speaking about. Now that will apply differently to different devotees. If someone is going is is commissioned to to preach, for example, then he or she may have to read more text and be uh, that that may be useful. Um, but um, he's speaking in, in general, and I would say that the positive that he to say what he's saying positively when he says one should not read many books um, is that uh, one should read the books that are pertinent to one's own uh, progress, um, like Bhagavad Gita <laughs> uh, and other Gaudiya texts. Um, but also, um, I'd have to look and see what exactly Vishwanathapitakura says there in the 12th chapter, verse 16. I don't have it with me. Um, but... Um, 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 The, I will make a comment, um, and that being that among other things like history, for example, more obviously, but perhaps less obvious to some, Bhakti Vinod considered philosophy, history, and other things to be uh, relative. Hmm? Um, so... There's a certain historical perspective, for example, on Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, when you're looking at the world as his associates did at the time from a Puranic perspective, you're going to call him an avatar. And then you're going to think, what avatar? And Because he's obviously overtly spiritual. And then you're going to analyze and you're going to come to the conclusion that he is. Well, he's coming in Kali Yuga. Maybe it's the Kali Yuga. But anyway, but but then, you know, there's more to him than that, and so on and so forth. And there, there the texts come out, and he's Swayam Bhagavan. I'm not saying it's not a good argument. It is. Um, but it's all an argument within a certain historical perspective where the Puranas are your main historical kind of texts to look at. Now, they're not considered historical from the modern historical point of view, but they are a history of feelings and so forth about God, God, God's possibilities of God and how people thought, you know, in, in, in previous times and, and so on and so forth. So they have a historical, you know, somewhat nature to them. Not if you compare them to the doctrine, it's the discipline of history today, academically and so forth. And, but they're not to be dismissed. It's, it's just some made up stories. They're based on true stories. They're based on true stories that God comes to the world and He has un- un- unlimited faces to appear in, and, and so on and so forth. So, living in that world, then Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is the Kali Yuga. Then someone might say, "Well, you know, what's Kali Yuga? Where's that? You know, where were the dinosaurs? You know, or whatever. You know." So, from a modern point of view, arche- archaeologically looking at it historically. They have a whole different way of talking about the world and the history. 
It has no room for Kali Yuga, Sati Yuga, Dwarpa Yuga, Treta Yuga, people, human beings living, you know, millions of years ago, something like that, 400,000 years in, in Shida Marship. They lived in their bones in meditation, in Samadhi, Sati Yuga. They're all in Samadhi. You know, so anyway, um, we don't have to get worked up about it. Uh, any num- any any number of perspectives are about as uh, accurate as you know as, as the other from one angle or another. You can say, well, this one seems more modern. One seems more accurate historically, factually, mm-hmm. telling about time and so forth. But you know, there may be some virtue to it in one respect. But 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 what does it not, not say about? About time, what time's about, where time comes from, what, what, uh, about pastime, being pastime. What about that? Um, um, <laughs> and uh, how to stop time and uh, what's time for? <laughs> what's the purpose? Uh, and so on. So these are different ways of talking about life, right? Mm-hmm. And you have to look and see which one is more comprehensive, which one talks about life in such a way that uh, gets more to the heart of, of the why of it all, hmm? Pur- its purpose, and so forth. Uh, if you take only a modern perspective, which is driven so much by a purposeless life. Hmm? You know this fellow Lovejoy. I think he was a, I think is that is his name, biologist. He wrote the Gaia thesis. Remember the Gaia thesis, right? So the Gaia thesis is one that says that the Earth is a is an organism. We're all like part of that organism, right? Mm-hmm. Living in pulses. So it's an environmental kind of a perspective. But his original um, doctrine had um, um, was, if, if properly understood, uh, was purposeful. It made not only the earth an organism, but it had purpose. And so because the predominant Meta-narrative in the world is in, amongst in philosophy and sciences. The world is purposeless. There's no meaning except the meaning you make up. Things are just bouncing off of one another, and there's no meaning to it. That is the dominant philosophical perspective in the world. And in academia, if you, if you deviate from that, you were likely better start your own school, or you're not going to get a pension. You know, it's very heavy. This is uh, what uh, what was that guy who wrote that famous book in, in the seventies um, about paradigms, paradigm shifts? Um, I forget his name. Um, Thomas Kuhn. Yeah, Thomas Kuhn. Thank you. Um, and, you know, and he, he he documented this. You know how science, for example, will will get into a certain um, paradigm, and then that'll start to work. And everything will function according to the paradigm, start to be economically fruitful and everything's working. And so when information comes that's contrary to the dominant paradigm, it tends to be dismissed. It tends to be dismissed. And only after a long time will a paradigm shift take place where the old paradigm will be retired and the new paradigm will come to prevail. And in the course of, you know, writing about this kind of thing, you know, he pointed out the obvious fact that scientists let's say for example in their white coats are after all human Mm -hmm. so they are subject to their own biases 
predecessors' paychecks uh, and how to interpret the data and so forth. So, um, so yeah, I mean, we're in the middle of a paradigm shift right now from materialism, which is the dominant philosophy, as I'm saying, to one in which it's understood and accepted that consciousness is not material. We're actually, we're in, the, we're, we're in the early stages of such a paradigm shift. Uh, so we're on the cutting edge. We're ahead of the curve here. Um, but um, anyway, I'm getting a little on, on a, 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 few, uh, a, a tangent here, but uh, history. Mm-hmm. So from the Puranic perspective, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is the Yubhavatar, and there's a whole Puranic way of talking about From a modern perspective, we can still make him completely divine and say he had these qualities. He wasn't, a, you know, an epileptic. He showed this ecstasies, and we can talk, there's a way we can talk about it. I thought to write a book about it at one point. I might do that. Um, and, uh, and so on. Mm-hmm. So the point I'm only making relative to the question, forgive me, if you will, is that history is relative and among other things. And Bhakti notes it's philosophy too. Mm-hmm. So, so, uh, one of the things we might be able to draw from Vishnu's comment as it's been cited uh, to me without me looking at it, um, uh, that one should not, uh, what was it? One shouldn't read books? Pretty much. I actually found the, the direct, uh, take off. Do you want me to read it? Please do. Okay. So the verse says, dear to me is that devotee who is not dependent on mundane or social activities, who is pure, expert, detached, free from all agitation and careful to avoid any activity unfavorable to bhakti. And then in his, it's kind of a short commentary. And then Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur says, if spiritual endeavors such as teaching scriptures become unfavorable, unfavorable to their bhakti, they automatically give them up. Uh-huh. So first of all, the larger point I'm making, well, there's some relativity to the philosophy. So there's a, there's a, there's a, 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 a whole a ditch one can fall in, um, as he or she starts to use their, in her his or her intelligence to understand the teaching better, and, and there's this book, and reading this book, and, and then that book, and there's that book, and then they get that book, and then you build this huge library of books, and and you got more information between your ears than anybody else, and people are respecting you, and you're able to regurgitate it and so forth, and right, Maharaj. You know, you, you have to deal with that. And then you start, you can start to think that you actually know quite a bit when, when the amount of that that's in place between your ears, very little has gone to the heart and actually changed it. Hmm? Um, so that's a problem. Or, uh, aside from that, one can start to try to start to think, I'm going to cap without doing it consciously, but Practically, I'm going to capture Krishna consciousness with my intelligence because studying the books is the, is a spiritual application of one's intelligence, right? But but the books are repeatedly telling us if we just like look real closely, the real message in there is therefore Jnana Krishna, which is a, which is a, which is a transrational exercise. It's not an exercise of a spiritualized intelligence. It's a direct. It's an intelligent thing to do. But the act itself 
is transrational. It's, it's, it's singing, it's chanting, it's, a, it's, it's so forth. Um, and, 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 you know, there's so much philosophy to, to, to help us to do something that's just really very, uh, very simple. Hmm? Um, and, uh, and you could do it in a big way too. Prabhupada did it in a big way and there are people who are much bigger scholars than, than Prabhupada in, in Gaudiya Vaishnavism. And he said it over here. He should have said it like this. Yeah, but he did this. <laughs> That's big, right? So those things have to be looked at. So there's a, there's a trap that you can fall into with, with your intellectual aptitude that you're going to capture it all in these books and it can become, it can become a distraction. Hmm? Um, from the real uh, work at hand. So, but what, what Vishnu Chakrabhita obviously has said here is that, uh, as we heard in the actual uh, text itself, that if studying books, hmm, study, if studying books or get, get teaching the books gets in the way, then um, then we, we shouldn't do it. So there, there may be possible. Let's, let's give an example. So you're teaching from the books, right? And you come up with something like, and karma is an adi. Hmm? And somebody goes, well, wait a minute. <laughs> that, that hurts my head. Karma's a nadi. What does that mean? You know, and, and, and there are some souls that are eternally conditioned. Nityabada, we call them, even in Gaudi Some are eternally liberated. Huh. I don't like that. Hmm? Now, how much of that do you have to know to go back to Godhead? Right? You don't have to know any of it, really. You have to have a good association. But if so, so it's possible that certain things you may hear and given your conditioning, it may be troublesome to you. And therefore, you put it aside. I mean, Prabhupada was once asked by one of his disciples that, you know, he had trouble because he had like a scientific mind and he was finding things in the Bhagavatam that seemed to contradict with modern science. And Prabhupada said, just take it metaphorically then. You know, there's a famous letter like that. You take it metaphorically. The main thing is China Hare Krishna. You know, mm-hmm. so there may be a place for putting down the books because they're getting in the way, hmm? and it may be getting in the way just by your thinking. Just by reading this book, I'm gonna, you know, that, that, that I'm gonna capture all this information. The Banjaris act like this, and the Sakas like this, and I've got all the information, and and I'm there. And 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 meanwhile, what you have to do to get there is is more than you know, you know the map. <laughs> Let's say you get the map, you know, of, of India. This is the map of India. I've got it, you know, and I can t- tell it by heart. The Himalayas are over here, and then there's this peak over here, and that one's higher than that one. This one's lower down here. Is, is Kanyakumari, Cape Comoran in the south, and this is the temperature there. And it never gets higher than this. It never gets lower than this. And we go to West Bengal and East, and then, and I know it all. These are the holy, holy places. I've got it all in my head. How much closer does that bring you to India? Well. Only as much as it inspires you to do the task that's necessary to go there. So there's a purpose in the study, right? And it may, if it's not fulfilling its purpose, then we can, we can set it aside. We're a little over time, but I gave so much attention to those two. Uh, uh, if there are any other questions, I'll extend the discussion. There's a couple short questions, but I think we could leave them for the next week. It's likely that next week, of course, we won't have a class because I think I'm flying out uh, to California 
to Adoria on Sunday. Mm-hmm. So, um, but week after that, I expect to be there if I'm not washed away in the rains of Northern California. If there's small, let's hear them. Hmm? If there's small questions, let's hear them. Agni says, if there's small questions, let's hear them. Small questions. Not to let that happen. One question is from an anonymous person. It as how do we serve the guru? <laughs> that seemed to bring a laugh. I don't know why, but... Um, I, oh, they're laughing because that's not a small question. <laughs> a big question. It's only a few words. How do we serve the guru? Sincerely. Hmm? Um, uh, Rupa Goswami says that Vishram Bena Guru Seva. Vishram Bena Guru Seva. This is how we should do Guru Seva. Vishramba. With Vishramba, which means, which means confidence. Uh, it means a it means the 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 uh, confidence. It means faith. It means conviction. Mm-hmm. With conviction, that by uh, rendering service to my guru, yasya prashadat, bhagavat prashadat, yasya prashadat, nabati putopi. So that positively and negatively, that by pleasing my guru, Krishna will be pleased. Mm-hmm. By serving my, my guru. Krishna would please. If, 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 and if I, by not serving the guru, then, 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 then Krishna won't be pleased. So, but by going against the guru. So it's just like, you know, arithmetic here. It's not calculus of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. But it also means, Vishramba means, uh, say conviction with confidence, with full faith. Um, and I have said before, and I should, uh, let me comment on it now, that we should come before the guru's sit and doubt. So what does it mean? What do I mean by that? Well, I need to explain it because you're not all Madhyamadikaris who would get it. Uh, I've realized that now. <laughs> so uh, so the, 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 the idea is you should come before the guru and with your doubts and express your doubts with the explicit faith that here I'll have them destroyed uh, or cleared. Hmm? I have that type of connection with someone who can uh, clear, uh, can, can clear the doubts. How? By citing the scripture, by citing previous precedences and so forth. Now, if you come before the guru, he cites different precedents, she cites different scriptures and so forth, but you just don't have faith in those, that which he is rep- representing and citing, then what can be done? Right, <laughs> so uh, uh, some measure of faith has to be there in, in the beginning to, to, to tread the path. Faith that I can find the answers here, and sometimes the answer it, it, the answer might be sometimes hmm? uh, you don't need to ask that question. Prabhupada would sometimes answer like that. Now that can be a problem, um, you know. Like if somebody says, um, "What happens?" After they eat mangoes in Goloka Vrindavan, are there toilets or how does it work? What's the system? <laughs> you know, then he might say, you don't need to ask that question. <laughs> go there and find out. Right? Just go there and find out. <laughs> so there may be a place for that, but that shouldn't be abused either. 
because the guru has to have some knowledge, right? Quite a bit of knowledge, heavy with knowledge, to be able to cite precedences. And that's the other thing, cite the scripture is one thing, but cite precedences as to how that scripture has been applied in, its, in one circumstance and another circumstance, how it may have been applied differently and so forth. So this is the broad sense, how we should serve the guru, but otherwise the, the guru gives us... Um, instructions to chant for example 16 rounds to follow these practices and so forth so we should if that's the only instruction we've given then that's uh the service that we can uh render and we should we should pay close attention to that you give us mantra then we should pay attention to that 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 mantra now not everybody in the modern world has the opportunity to personally serve the guru. Some have, they come to Madhavan, for example, they see me, they have a chance to render service or, or, or they live with me, you know, then, then they have that opportunity. Um, that's, uh, that's a good opportunity, but not everybody has that. Their situation is, doesn't, doesn't allow it. And so asking from that position in a more practical way, rather than in the broader way in which I'm answering it, which is important nonetheless, how can we serve the guru? Um, um, I'll be frank with you. My experience has been to that question. It's probably, in most cases, it's not worth answering because many, many disciples have asked me, how can I serve? And I tell them, I don't do it. They think, oh, it means I have to give up this or take time to do this, sacrifice that. And um, So I say, I already told Chan Hare Krishna, <laughs> try that. Now, I have things that I'm doing. That's another thing. that I want to do them. I feel they're useful for Gaudiya Vaishnavism and so forth. They need support. So one minimal way that you can serve if you're living outside of the, the monastery itself and so forth is to fund it. And that is, 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 um, is, uh, is, uh, it's a kind of a minimal service. Um, you're not doing anything, but you're doing something to make the money. And so the effort that you spent to make the money, some of that is indirectly going to, to Guru Seva by sending it to, like I have a book that's coming out here one of these days. <laughs> uh, I lecture about it, then I ask Billy Jasaki, let me write a few things here with these thoughts in this chapter. But um, also the layout, incidentally, it's been a little slowed down because, well, you need water to lay out a book. And the two that are laying out the book are they're underwater now, but it, <laughs> because of the floods, but still there's not enough water in the ground to, to uh, relax. And they've been busy there with the rain catchment system. But um, it, I do, uh, I've written the books before, another one, and they need, they need funding. So you can send funds to help um, print and, you know, books to help uh, sustain ashrams, which uh, like this one, for example, which we asked the devotees to come and visit, spend time with me and so forth. And, so that's a practical way. Um, that's a short answer. Mm-hmm. Not too short, but I hope it helps. Next, Agni wants another one. Okay. So there's a, one question from our interpreter, Mara Mohan. Um, I'll ask it, but I'm not sure if you're familiar with this uh, pastime of Bhakti Pramod Puri Maharaj. But anyway, so the question is, I would like to know the pastime when Srila Bhakti Pramod Puri Maharaj asked Srila Bhakti Siddhanta what to do 
whether he should sleep less or chant 64 rounds. Apparently, he didn't have time to do both. So he, the Maramohan was confused about the answer that Shri Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta gave. Uh, so he wasn't sure what he recommended. But if Maramohan could comment on that, what was exactly Bhaktisiddhanta's response? If what, if you're doing service, you could chant less. Mm-hmm. What was his answer exactly? Exactly, what was the answer? You don't know the answer. You, the confusion is that you don't know. The confusion is that you don't know what he answered. Mm-hmm. Ah, I see. Neither do I. But the prophet was asked a similar question. You know, when my godfather Tamal Krishnamaraj was uh, serving him in the last part of his manifest leela, where he was very very busy um, because it involved uh, tending the prophet personally. He wasn't the only one doing it, an assistant too, but he, w- he was very busy with that. There was correspondence that Prabhupada was getting, so he was dealing with the devotees from other, you know, around the world and, and so forth. Anyway, he was very, very busy. Mm-hmm. And, and he was, and so he was having a hard time chanting his rounds, 16 rounds. So he asked Prabhupada about what should I do? And Prabhupada said, sleep less. Mm-hmm. So, Similar situation. That's what Prabhupada said. You should sleep less. Now, uh, it's different. He said he was only sleeping four hours and Pramod Puri was spending all this time writing and doing, he was one of the editors, chief editors in the works and so forth. So very well could have said, edit less, chant more. Or if you're, Bhakti Siddhanta likely would have said, if you're doing other service, um, like the writing, which I've asked, and preaching service in particular, I would say, if you're doing preaching service, then you can chant less. Because at least Pujapad Sridhar told us that Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasthi Thakur's overall position on the number of rounds to chant was Mala um, Upavasana. Hmm? Don't let the Mala fast. Hmm? Don't let the mala fast. And so if there was other, this was in the mission, right? Amongst, which would have been sannyasis and brahmacharis living in the mock. Then they were all active with service. And when, but they should, even in the context of that, they shouldn't let the mala fast. Otherwise, the principle was to chant 64 rounds. So there was some built in you know, kind of be sincere, don't abuse it, use your intelligence, and uh, don't oversleep, but um, um, don't do service and, and neglect your chanting, but there may be a place for chanting less, doing more service. Now, in in the in the mission of Bhakti Pragyan Keshava Maharaj, Disciple of Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasvati Thakur, um, 
they had a system, I believe, if I recall correctly, excuse me, that the brahmacharis in the mission should chant 16 rounds at least every day. But there, if there was ever a time when they had you know, less to do, then that would all be compensated. That time would be used for chanting. And there was a lot of devotees who would chant 64 rounds. Um, and um, and for the householders in the mission, then they had to chant 32 rounds. Because being householders, the extra time that they had after chanting was not going to be used directly for the mission service, but for other things, and that should be minimized. So that was that was their their his his system. <laughs> you would think, oh, the brahmacharis they would chant thirty two, and the householders would chant sixteen, but he reversed it. <laughs> but this is all to emphasize a particular uh, you know point. This is the way, the main way of chanting. So. That should be, we should develop a taste for chanting. That should, our practice and so forth should revolve around that. So that's that for today. Okay. Thank nice. you very much. Nice to be here with all of you. Muchísimas gracias. Okay. Okay.